Hi, I'm Father Gregory Pine. And I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our interior lives by learning from the Church's greatest saints and teachers. Each season, we'll read through a great work, explain its spiritual principles, and help you apply its timeless wisdom to your life. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension. This season, we are reading Ascension's edition of Confessions by St. Augustine. A few reminders before we get started. To download the reading plan for Confessions, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text CONFESSIONS to 33777. Click follow or subscribe in your podcast app for daily notifications. This is day 56. Today we will be reading Book 13, chapters 15 through 18 in the Ascension edition of the book. If you'd like to hear some of our conversations on other subjects, follow up with us and three of our brother priests on the podcast God's Planning. There you'll find weekly episodes on a variety of Catholic themes with occasional guests, scriptural meditations, and special series. You can find God's Planning with any podcast app on YouTube and at godsplanning.org. Before we get into the reading, a quick look at what we're covering today. Today, St. Augustine continues on his exploration of creation in the book of Genesis, and he looks through some upcoming days or coming days or the days of creation. I don't know if they're upcoming because they're in the past, but he's going to look through, walk through some of the days of creation. He's going to look at Genesis 1, 6, 1, 9, 11, and 14. So we're going to walk through those, the creation of the firmament, the creation of the seas, the creation of the earth, and the creation of the lights of day and night. So if you remember in 1, 3, we had the creation of light, fiat lux, let there be light. But today we're going to hit the sort of earthly lights, the light that shines physically on us. So before we get into that, let's get started with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Breathe in me, O Holy Spirit, that my thoughts may all be holy. Act in me, O Holy Spirit, that my work too may be holy. Draw my heart, O Holy Spirit, that I love but what is holy. Strengthen me, O Holy Spirit, to defend all that is holy. Guard me then, O Holy Spirit, that I always may be holy. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Chapter 15. Or who but you, our God, fashioned for us the firmament of authority over us in your divine scripture? As it is said, heaven shall be rolled up like a scroll, and now it is stretched over us like a skin. For your divine scripture has a loftier authority, since those mortal men by whom you bestowed it to us themselves experienced mortality. And you know, O Lord, you know how you clothed men with skins, when through their sin they became mortal. Therefore you have stretched out like a skin the firmament of your book, that is, your harmonious words, which you spread over us by the ministry of mortal men. For by their very death, the solid firmament of authority set forth by them in your utterances extended more at a loftier and greater height over all that are underneath it, though it was not yet so lofty and great in extent while they lived here below. You had not yet spread the heaven like a tent. You had not yet spread abroad in all directions the glory of their deaths. Let us look, O Lord, upon the heavens, the work of your hands. Clear from our eyes the cloud that you have spread under them. There is your testimony, which gives wisdom to little ones. Make perfect, O my God, your praise from the mouths of babes and infants. For we know of no other books that so destroy pride, that so destroy the enemy and defender, who resists your reconciliation by defending his own sins. O Lord, I know not, no indeed, I know not any other words of such purity, words that so persuade me to confess and calmly place my neck under your yoke, words that invite me to serve you for free. 
Enable me to understand them, good Father. Grant this to me, who am placed under them, for you establish them for those who are placed under them. I believe that there are other waters above the firmament, immortal and separated from earthly corruption. Let them praise your name. Let them praise you, these super-celestial persons, your angels, who have no need to gaze up at this firmament or to know your word by way of reading. For they always behold your face, and without uttering any syllables marked by the passage of time, there they read what your eternal will wills. They read, they choose, and they love. They forever are reading, and that which they read never passes away. For by choosing and by loving, they read the very unchangeableness of your counsel. Their book is never closed, nor their scroll ever folded up. For you yourself are this book, eternally open before their gaze. You have placed them above this firmament, which you firmly established over the infirmity of lower persons, where they might gaze upward and learn of your mercy, announcing in time you who made all time. For your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and your truth reaches to the skies. The clouds pass away, but heaven abides. The preachers of your word pass from this life to another, but your scripture spreads out over the people, even to the end of the world. Yet heaven and earth also shall pass away. But your words shall not pass away, for the scroll shall be rolled up, and the grass over which it spread shall pass away with its own glory. But your word endures forever, your word which now appears to us under the dark image of the clouds and through the mirror of the heavens, not as it is. For although we are the well-beloved of your Son, it has not yet appeared what we shall be. He looked through the lattice of our flesh, spoke tenderly to us, and enkindled our hearts, and we ran after his fragrance." However, when he appears, then we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. As he is Lord will our vision be, though it is not yet ours. Chapter 16 For only you know yourself altogether as you are, you who unchangeably are, unchangeably know, and unchangeably will. And your essence immutably knows and wills, and your knowledge immutably is and wills, and your will immutably is and knows. Nor does it seem right in your eyes that as the unchangeable light knows itself, so too should it be known by the changeable thing that is enlightened. Therefore my soul is like an arid land, for just as it cannot enlighten itself on its own, so too it cannot satisfy itself on its own. Thus the fountain of life is with you, just as in your light we shall see light. Chapter 17 Who gathered the embittered together into one society? For they all have one end, a temporal and earthly happiness, for the sake of which they do all things, though they waver back and forth with a countless variety of cares. Lord, who but you said, let the waters be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, the dry land that thirsts for you. For the sea is also yours, you have fashioned it, and your hands prepared the dry land. It is not the bitterness of men's wills that is called the sea, but rather the gathering together of the waters. For you restrain the wicked desires of men's souls, and you set their bounds, setting how far they may be allowed to pass, so that their waves may break upon one another. And thus you make it a sea, through the order imposed by your dominion over all things. But by a sweet spring you water those souls that thirst for you and appear before you, divided as they are from the society of the sea by another boundary, so that the earth may bring forth her fruit. 
and by your command, Lord God, our soul may sprout with works of mercy, each according to its kind, loving our neighbor by relieving his bodily needs, and each has a seed in itself according to its own likeness. For moved by feeling our infirmity, we exercise compassion in relief of the needy by helping them as we would like ourselves to be helped if we were similarly in need. Not only in easy things like the plant going to seed, but also in our protective and strong assistance like the tree that yields its fruit, that is, by beneficently rescuing from the hand of the powerful him who suffers wrong and giving him the shelter of protection through the mighty strength of just judgment. Chapter 18. Thus, O Lord, thus I beseech you, let there spring up, yes, as you do, as you give cheer and the means that we need, let truth spring forth from the earth, and let righteousness look down from heaven, and let there be lights in the firmament. Let us break our bread for the hungry and welcome the homeless poor into our house. Let us clothe the naked and despise not those of our own flesh. And when such fruits have sprung out of the earth, see that it is good, and let our light, which exists only for a time, break forth. And may we, passing from this lower fruitfulness of action to the delights of contemplation, there obtaining the word of life above, then appear like lights in the world, clinging to the firmament of your scripture. For there you instruct us to distinguish between things intellectual and sensual, as though between day and night, or between souls which have given themselves over to things intellectual or those of sense. Do this so that now not only you and your secret judgment as before the firmament had been fashioned may divide between light and the darkness, but moreover, your spiritual children also placed in their rank within the firmament, now that your grace has been made manifest throughout the world, may themselves shed light upon the earth and divide between the day and the night, and mark out times, declaring that the old things have passed away. And behold, all things have been renewed, that our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed, that the night is far spent and the day is at hand, and that you will crown your year with blessing, sending into your harvest those who labor in service of your goodness, following after others who have sown before them, sending them also into another field whose harvest shall take place at the end of times." Thus, grant the prayers of him who asks, and bless the years of the just. But you are the same, and in your years which do not pass away, you prepare a storehouse for our own fleeting years. For by your eternal counsel, you bestow heavenly blessings and their proper seasons upon the earth. For to one man the Spirit gives the word of wisdom, a greater light, as it were, for the sake of those who take delight in the light of clear truth, as it were, for the rule of the day. To another you give by the same Spirit the word of knowledge, the lesser light, as it were. To another faith, to another the gift of healing, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discernment of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues. And all these are, as it were, stars, for all these are brought about by one and the same Spirit, freely giving that which is his to each man and making stars appear in bright light for the advantage of all. But the word of knowledge in which all the mysteries, sacramenta, are contained with their various seasons, like, as it were, the moon and those other gifts that are mentioned, which are reckoned up in order like stars insofar as they fall short of the brightness of wisdom, which gladdens the previously mentioned day, are only for ruling the night. For they are necessary to those to whom your most prudent servant could speak only as men who were not spiritual, but rather carnal. Yes, even he who speaks wisdom among those are perfect. 
But let not the natural man, as an infant in Christ, and fed on milk until that time when he may be strong enough for solid food, and have eyes able to behold the sun, let not this man dwell in a night forsaken by all light, but remain content with the light of the moon and the stars. Thus you, our all-wise God, speak to us in your book, your firmament, so that we may discern all things in wondrous contemplation, although for now we do so in signs, seasons, days, and years. So St. Augustine picks up here with Genesis 1-6, the creation of the firmament or the creation of the heavens. And he talks about the creation of the heavens simply as we would think about the heavens as being above the earth, not being part of the physical world, being something that remains, something that doesn't change. And for us, my envision, my vision, not envision, the way I envision my vision of heaven is kind of similar in that it exists outside, above as opposed to the world's changing nature, reality. I don't know, Father Gregory, what are your personal thoughts on heaven, on the firmament? Yeah, so when we're reading St. Augustine, we're reading an ancient understanding of the heavens, which remains largely unchanged for the medievals, uh, but as their powers of observation increase with certain technologies and with certain scientific methods, then it's going to start shifting a little bit. But, you know, let's say that you've read the Divine Comedy, uh, you'll notice there that in the Paradiso, you go through these kind of heavenly spheres, as it were, or these spheres in which it is known that this planet or this celestial body rotates. And then beyond that, you have the fixed stars. And then beyond that, you have the Empyrean heaven. And I think in the kind of philosophical understanding of the day, you're looking for a fixed place wherein the, the change of this world is contained and beyond which the change of this world is not. Uh, because you're looking for a way to explain uh, one, what you're observing, but also to reconcile it with what has been explained to you by your philosophical teachers and revealed to you by your theological kind of pastors, as it were. And St. Augustine is engaged in something like that at this stage of the game. So he's trying to make sense of, okay, how do things change in the in the this worldly experience? How do things maybe move but not change in the beyond this worldly experience? And then how does that all fit within the setting of God's revelation, which we know here from the book of Genesis as it's interpreted by other scriptural passages and in the subsequent tradition. So I see this as, again, a kind of cool attempt at a harmonization of faith and science. St. Augustine is, he's not going to say, all right, we know beyond any shadow of a doubt that the scripture means this. And so if a scientist says it's the other way, then he is definitely wrong and he needs to be chased down, burned, condemned, imprisoned, whatever comes up, you know, like in the particular court in which the individual is tried. Okay, that's that's not what is happening here. Um, St. Augustine is just kind of putting himself humbly, modestly before the data, whether available to reason or beyond reason's bounds, and he's trying to make a certain sense of it. So, I mean, I have many thoughts about what heaven might be like, but none of those are especially illuminating or especially encouraging. But I think here, this effort that St. Augustine makes is both illuminating and encouraging. Uh, Father Gregory, you mentioned this the, the unchanging reality of God or the changing reality of the earth and, and the heavens, perhaps, in as much as they're created. And it's here, too, that St. Augustine will reiterate the fact that God is unchanging. We might think that, or we might be tempted to think even subconsciously, I don't know if you think subconsciously, but it might dawn on us that, well, if God creates the heavens, the firmament that is unchanging in the place that, to which we are oriented, where we will find our rest and our happiness, then somehow God is also enjoying his rest and happiness in the heavens. But we have to be clear here, and, and St. Augustine wants to be clear that 
the heavens are not created for God. He, he exists outside of them. He's perfectly happy, perfectly content, perfectly perfect before creation and will always be. So I think part of the gratuity, part of the gift of creation that we've been talking about and as St. Augustine's been talking about with us is to recognize that all of creation, heaven and earth, is made for us, for our, on our, not on our behalf, but for us to participate and share and enjoy, you know, conformed and moved by his grace, invited into his divine life. So yeah, the reiteration of God's unchanging reality, even though he creates and, and causes change, it's important for us to, to have this kind of sitting in the back of our mind as we walk through creation and its account. Okay. So Moving on from the firmament, kind of descending from the heavens to the earth, um, what is created next, but the seas and the monsters to play with, as the psalm recounts in the seas, not in Genesis, but I always like that, and the earth. And so when St. Augustine talks about the creation of the seas and the earth, sort of what the overarching theme um, that he brings forth for us is that they're created for our happiness. We know that we are given all of creation as its sort of custodians, but also it's in service to us. That doesn't mean a service of, of abuse or, you know, taking advantage, but creation exists to fulfill our needs, um, which is, yeah, I don't know if that's comfortable for modern ears, but it is the reality, I guess. And St. Augustine kind of makes this known. And again, not in a sort of domineering way, but in such a way that everything harmonizes, everything's of a whole, and all this whole is leading back to God, to our worship of God, and ultimately, hopefully, to our heavenly life with God. So yeah, are you comfortable with that, Father Gregory, I guess? I am comfortable with that. I think that we're all kind of influenced by 19th century romanticism, which tends to think of creation apart from man's influence or which tends to idealize the natural created state. And then 20th century industrialism, I mean, industrialism starts like 18th century, but it really picks up steam. Wow, incredible, Father Gregory. Um, in the Western world in like the late 19th and early 20th century, we think about it in terms of a lot of the dark marks that human influence leaves on, on creation. And then we think about our 21st century kind of psychosis and struggles and a determination of whether or not the studies upon which these major policy changes are being based are in fact true or whether they're all overblown and this is just like scare tactics. Okay, so our understanding of how we relate with the environment is a bit complicated and even a little bit tortured. But I think just to propose this idea that the creation is is perfected or is fulfilled in man is one that we need to insist upon as Christians because there's a hierarchy or an order in creation and the lower is for the higher. Just like that's true in our own, you know, our own human nature, the body is for the soul, right? So the soul is not for the body. We often think about the body like containing the soul. It's more appropriate to say that the soul contains the body insofar as the soul makes use of the body like its instrument, not in that it's just dragging it around like a little flesh cage or like a little like corpse ragdoll, but in the sense that it's for those higher pursuits, right? To know the truth about God and to live peaceably in society. And these are our greater goods, which demand of us the development of certain, you know, grace and virtues and gifts of the Holy Spirit and things besides, which are expressed through our bodily life, but which in a certain sense transcend it. So I think that when we speak of lower creation, it's like how we speak of our bodies. So important, but subordinated. To say that something is subordinated doesn't mean that it's just subjected to whatever whim or caprice might kind of whisk across my mind and I can do with it whatever I want because I'm a violent abuser or oppressor or whatever else. No, we're talking about like drawing something into a kind of relationship whereby it's perfect and fulfilled. So for St. Augustine to harp on that, I think is super important for a modern audience. Yeah. And the subordination of the body is a good example because we can think about what we believe about the body. You know, as far as like 
the moral life that we live on this side of eternity, um, you know, and what we do and what we don't do. There's the church teaches from Christ and from Revelation how to care for and how to properly live in the body. But also we believe that we get our bodies back at, at the second coming. So even though the body is subordinate to the soul, it doesn't mean that it doesn't participate in a real and meaningful way in our salvation, in our redemption, in, in our experience and relationship with God. It's just there's a hierarchy and so too in creation. So as you're saying, Father Gregory, it is good that St. Augustine is giving us this, this truth and this teaching here, because I think, I imagine St. Augustine's contemporaries would be more comfortable with this sort of thing than compared as compared to our contemporaries. Um, so it's good for us to hear, I think. The last thing that St. Augustine covers here in these chapters for us today is the creation of earthly light, um, of the light of the sun and the moon. And again, so perhaps to look at it and then we could tease it apart a bit, but to look at the kind of summary of what he says. And I don't know, this surprised me in my reading of it too, but that the occasion of day is an occasion or a time for us to do good works, to glorify God, to praise God, to preach God, to serve neighbor. And before reading Augustine on this, uh, I hadn't thought of that in those terms. I don't know. So it's, yeah, the light of day as a time to glorify God. But that makes sense because that's that's why we're here, to glorify God, to imitate and image God in our living and in our lives with respect to him and our neighbor. So it makes sense that that's what the purpose of the day is for. And we can think of our different vocations, our different work, our different ways by which we are called to do that. Um, there's a real harmony there, but I, I don't think I'd thought of it in those terms. I don't know if you had. Yeah, there, there are a lot of different kind of traditional ways to conceive of night and day. We've already you know, hit upon some of them in commenting St. Augustine. Um, but I'm thinking of our patron and the founder of our order, St. Dominic, who is said to have given the night to God in prayer and given the day to men in service. I'm also thinking of like an image from the Divine Comedy, which I just cited earlier. In the Purgatorio, Dante comes to discover that he can only ascend the mountain when the sun is up, because when the sun sets, he lacks the grace to make progress. So there's the sense, again, to draw on the image of light, to draw on the image uh, of light specifically in coordination with God's initiation, uh, with God's generous, you know, offer of himself in creation. I think that's super helpful for us to to see how that plays out in, you know, the love of God as manifest in the love of neighbor. Yeah, it just makes, I don't know, this might be a silly thing to say, but it, it just makes sense to me. All of it kind of makes sense. It's all of a piece. And this is something that I've kind of I don't know, a theme of mine in this book, this sort of holistic, this whole vision of creation moving towards God as one, as Father Gregory said in an earlier episode, not as a sort of individual pursuit, but as as a single pursuit of all of creation. So St. Augustine maintains this and, and carries on with it. So I think that's where we will leave things for today. Tune in tomorrow, of course. We'll see you then. Know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us, and we'll catch you next time on Catholic Classics. <laughs>